Volume Three, Part Twenty Two of Herodotus Histories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Histories, Volume Three, by Herodotus of Halicarnassus, translated by E. D. Godley. Part Twenty Two. Now it happened that the king had been at Sardis ever since he came there in flight from Athens after his overthrow in the sea fight. Being then at Sardis, he became enamoured of Masistes's wife, who was there also. But as all his messages could not bring her to yield to him, and he would not force her to his will, out of regard for his brother Masistes, which indeed counted with the woman also, for she knew well that no force would be used against her, Xerxes found no other way to accomplish his purpose than that he should make a marriage between his own son Darius and the daughter of this woman and Masistes for he thought that by doing so he would be most likely to win her. So he betrothed them with all due ceremony, and rode away to Susa. But when he had come and taken Darius's bride into his house, he thought no more of Masistes's wife, but changed his mind, and wooed and won this girl, Artainti, Darius's wife and Masistes's daughter. As time went on, however, the truth came to light, and in such manner as I will show. Xerxes's wife, a mistress, wove and gave to him a great gaily-covered mantle, marvellous to see. Xerxes was pleased with it, and went to Artainty wearing it. Being pleased with her, too, he asked her what she wanted in return for her favours, for he would deny her nothing at her asking. Thereupon, for she and all her house were doomed to evil, she said to Xerxes, "'Will you give me whatever I ask of you?' He promised this, supposing that she would ask anything but that, when he had sworn, she asked boldly for his mantle. Xerxes tried to refuse her, for no reason except that he feared that a mistress might have clear proof of his doing what she already guessed. He accordingly offered her cities instead, and gold in abundance, and an army for none but herself to command. Armies are the most suitable of gifts in Persia. But as he could not move her, he gave her the mantle, and she, rejoicing greatly in the gift, went flaunting her finery. A mistress heard that she had the mantle, but when she learned the truth, it was not the girl with whom she was angry. She supposed, rather, that the girl's mother was guilty, and that this was her doing, and so it was Masistes's wife whom she plotted to destroy. She waited, therefore, till Xerxes, her husband, should be giving his royal feast. This banquet is served once a year on the king's birthday. The Persian name for it is Tukta, which is in the Greek language perfect. On that day, and none other, the king anoints his head and makes gifts to the Persians. Waiting for that day, a mistress then asked of Xerxes that Masistes's wife should be given to her. Xerxes considered it a terrible and wicked act to give up his brother's wife, and that too when she was innocent of the deed, for he knew the purpose of the request. Nevertheless, since a mistress was insistent and the law compelled him, for at this royal banquet in Persia every request must of necessity be granted, he unwillingly consented, and delivered the woman to a mistress. Then, bidding her do what she wanted, he sent for his brother and spoke as follows. Masistes, you are Darius's son and my brother and a good man. Hear me, then. You must no longer live with her who is now your wife. I will give you my daughter in her place. Take her for your own, but do away with the wife that you have, for it is not my will that you should have her. At that Masistes was amazed. Sire, he said, what is this evil command that you lay upon me, telling me to deal with my wife in this way? I have by her young sons and daughters, of whom you have taken a wife for your own son, and I am very content with her herself. 
"'Yet you are asking me to get rid of my wife and wed your daughter? "'Truly, O king, I consider it a great honour to be accounted worthy of your daughter, "'but I will do neither the one nor the other. "'No, rather, do not force me to consent to such a desire. "'You will find another husband for your daughter as good as I, "'but permit me to keep my own wife.' This was Mesistes's response, but Xerxes was very angry, and said, "'You have come to this pass, Mesistes. I will give you no daughter of mine as a wife, nor will you any longer live with her whom you now have. In this way you will learn to accept that which is offered to you.' Hearing that, Mesistes said, "'No, sire, you have not destroyed me yet,' and so departed. In the meantime, while Xerxes talked with his brother, Amestris sent for Xerxes's guards, and treated Mesistes's wife very cruelly. She cut off the woman's breasts and threw them to the dogs, and her nose and ears and lips also, and cut out her tongue. Then she sent her home after she had undergone this dreadful ordeal. Knowing nothing of this as yet, but fearing evil, Mesistes ran home. Seeing what had been done to his wife, he immediately took counsel with his children, and set out for Bactra with his own sons, and others too, intending to raise the province of Bactra in revolt, and do the king the greatest of harm. This he would have done, to my thinking, had he escaped to the country of the Bactrians and Sasi. They were fond of him, and he was viceroy over the Bactrians. But it was of no use, for Xerxes learned what he intended, and sent against him an army, which killed him on his way, and his sons and his army. Such is the story of Xerxes' love and Mesistes' death. The Greeks who had set out from Michaela for the Hellespont first anchored off Lectrum, having been stopped by contrary winds, and came from there to Abydos where they found the bridges broken, which they thought would still be in place. These were in fact the chief cause of their coming to the Hellespont. The Peloponnesians who were there with Leutychides decided to sail away to Hellas, but the Athenians, with Xanthippus their general, that they would remain there and attack the Chersonesus. So the rest sailed away, but the Athenians crossed over to the Chersonesus and laid siege to Cestus. Now when the Persians heard that the Greeks were at the Hellespont, they had come in from the neighboring towns and assembled at this same cestus, seeing that it was the strongest walled place in that region. Among them there was a Persian named Oabazus from Cardia, and he had carried the equipment of the bridges there. Cestus was held by the Aeolians of the country, but with him were Persians and a great multitude of their allies. This province was ruled by Xerxes's viceroy, Artectes, a cunning man and a wicked one, witnessed the deceit that he practiced on the king in his march to Athens, how he stole away from Elaeus, the treasure of Protocilus, son of Iphiclus. This was the way of it. There is at Elaeus in the Chersonesus the tomb of Protocilus, and a precinct around it, which contained much treasure, vessels of gold and silver, bronze, clothing, and other dedications, all of which Artectes carried off by the king's gift. Sire, he said deceitfully to Xerxes, there is here the house of a certain Greek, who met a just death for invading your territory with an army. Give me this man's house, so that all may be taught not to invade your territory. One would think that this plea would easily persuade Xerxes to give him a man's house, since the latter had no suspicion of Artectes' meaning. His reason for saying that Protesilus had invaded the king's country was that the Persians believe all Asia to belong to themselves and whoever is their king. So when the treasure was given to him, he carried it away from Elaeus to Cestus, and planted and farmed the precinct. He would also come from Elaeus to have intercourse with women in the shrine. Now when the Athenians laid siege to him, he had made no preparation for it. He did not think that the Greeks would come, and he had no way of escaping from their attack. 
Since the siege continued into the late autumn, the Athenians grew weary of their absence from home and their lack of success at taking the fortress. They accordingly entreated their generals to lead them away again, but the generals refused to do that till they should take the place or be recalled by the Athenian state. At that the men endured their plight patiently. But those who were within the walls were by now reduced to the last extremity, so much so that they boiled the thongs of their beds for food. At the last, however, even these failed them, and Artectes and Oabasis and all the Persians made their way down from the back part of the fortress, where the fewest of their enemies were, and fled at nightfall. When morning came, the people of the Chersonese signified from their towers to the Athenians what had happened, and opened their gates. The greater part of the Athenians then went in pursuit, while the rest stayed to hold the town. As Oabasis was making his escape into Thrace, the Absinthians of that country caught and sacrificed him in their customary manner to Plisterus, the god of their land. As for his companions, they did away with them by other means. Artectes and his company had begun their flight later, and were overtaken a little way beyond the goats' rivers, where, after they had defended themselves a long time, some of them were killed and the rest taken alive. The Greeks bound them and carried them to Cestus, together with them Artectes and his son also in bonds. It is related by the people of the Chersonese that a marvellous thing happened to one of those who guarded Artectes. He was frying dried fish, and these as they lay over the fire began to leap and writhe as though they had just been caught. The rest gathered around, amazed at the sight, but when Artectes saw this strange thing, he called the one who was frying the fish and said to him, Athenian, do not be afraid of this potent, for it is not to you that it has been sent. It is to me that Protesilus of Elaeus is trying to signify that, although he is dead and dry, he has power given him by the god to take vengeance on me, the one who wronged him. Now, therefore, I offer a ransom, the sum of one hundred talents to the god for the treasure that I took from his temple. I will also pay to the Athenians two hundred talents for myself and my son if they spare us. But Xanthippus the general was unmoved by this promise, for the people of Elaeus desired that Artectes should be put to death in revenge for Protesilus, and the general himself was so inclined. So they carried Artectes away to the headland where Xerxes had bridged the strait, or, by another story, to the hill above the town of Meditus, and there nailed him to boards and hanged him. As for his son, they stoned him to death before his father's eyes. This done, they sailed away to Hellas, carrying with them the cables of the bridges to be dedicated in their temples, and all sorts of things in addition. This, then, is all that was done in this year. This Artectes who was crucified was the grandson of that Artemberes, who instructed the Persians in a design which they took from him and laid before Cyrus. This was its purport. Seeing that Zeus grants lordship to the Persian people, and to you, Cyrus, among them, let us, after reducing Astyages, depart from the little and rugged land which we possess and occupy one that is better. There are many such lands on our borders, and many further distant. If we take one of these, we will all have more reasons for renown. It is only reasonable that a ruling people should act in this way, for when will we have a better opportunity than now, when we are lords of so many men and of all Asia? Cyrus heard them, and found nothing to marvel at in their design. Go ahead and do this, he said, but if you do so, be prepared no longer to be rulers, but rather subjects. Soft land breeds soft men. Wondrous fruits of the earth and valiant warriors grow not from the same soil. The Persians now realized that Cyrus reasoned better than they, and they departed, 
choosing rather to be rulers on a barren mountainside than dwelling in tilled valleys to be slaves to others. End of Volume 3, Part 22 End of Volume 3 of Herodotus's Histories